morning, beloved church. My name is Camille Maddock. I'm the associate pastor here at the church. And we are continuing to make our way through the seven things that we know to be true. We only have a few affirmations left in our Credimus series. And what a joy and privilege it has been to explore these belief statements with you. To hear the history of how these seven things came to be as priorities for Valencia United Methodist Church. And to have the opportunity for Andy and I as we continue our first year with you to share our perspective and understandings of these seven affirmations. We began with Andy exploring the idea that your story is important to God, to us, to this faith community. I was able to speak about how God's love changes everything, including our relationship with God, with ourselves, and with others. Reverend Nicole returned uh, to share a message that the Bible has a message for us today. And then last week, Andy spoke about how everyone has stuff, and that's okay, because God is going to move and use you. And today, we're looking at the affirmation that all means all. But before we dive in, would you please join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious and loving God, we know that you are with us in the moment and in all the moments to come. May your spirit move among us and those watching online. Open our hearts to hear the message that you would have for us this morning. May the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you, O oh God. Amen. Now, Andy and I have shared before one of the reasons that we felt called to come to Valencia, beyond the lunch with Reverend Nicole that turned into a surprise sales pitch, one of the reasons was because of these seven things that we know to be true. These are all affirmations that we not only believe, but that we have been putting into practice for 20-something years of ministry. They are a foundational part of our individual faith. And in particular, all means all was an important one for us. It's been the greatest blessing and struggle to live into a ministry and a personal faith that embodies all means all. A blessing, because when I look back over the minute my ministry to date or from my own life of faith, the moments that are the most infused with God's love and grace are the moments of diversity and acceptance. Moments of inclusivity and hospitality where those that had been excluded, excluded for who they are or how they love or how the world viewed them were accepted and welcomed without exceptions, but also a struggle because loving without exceptions like Jesus did is hard work. And while it's something that I strive for on the daily, it's something that I often fall short of. That's my confession this morning, that despite how important and how valuable I think inclusion is, despite how I want to live my life and practice my ministry with all means all, it is difficult, especially including those that think and believe and behave not just differently than I do, but in active opposition to the beliefs that I hold to be true. And the same was true for the early church. 
The book of Acts describes the first days just after Jesus' resurrection as ones where they desired to be a diverse community of believers with a central purpose. They wanted to be a witness to God's limitless love, to be made known in Jesus Christ and the fullness of His empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. And while that was the ideal that they strived for, this wasn't always the reality that they lived into. Yes, the early church, just after Pentecost, started out with unity and connection, being of one mind and heart, but they quickly fell into difficulties. Many of the books in our New Testament are letters written to individual churches or to groups within those churches who were arguing with each other over who could be in church or what behavior was allowed, what faith beliefs and practices were the right ones, or which apostle or leader should be followed. The Apostle Paul referred to this as the dividing wall of hostility. One of the first significant conflicts in the early church was over who could be a Christian and how that needed to happen. You see, some argued that the gospel was only for those who'd been raised in the Jewish faith. Others said that the gospel was also intended for the Gentiles, those who were not in the Jewish faith. Some said that if the Gentiles were going to become Christians, they had to submit to the Jewish practice of circumcision. They had to follow the dietary restrictions, but others thought that that was asking too much. Now, ultimately, they resolved this issue by realizing that it wasn't what we do that makes us Christian, but what God has done on our behalf. And so Gentiles were baptized and welcomed into the church after fighting over inclusion, but it took a while to get there. And it was in the middle of this particular conflict that Paul writes a letter to the Galatians. And from that letter comes this often quoted verse. This is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 through 29. For in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In a world that glories in dividing people and pitting them against one another, the early church believed that God had called them to be welcoming to all and inclusive of all. But when it came to including those that were different from them, they struggled. You see, the history of the Christian church is filled with disagreements and fractures over differences of beliefs and decisions on who could be included based on race and gender, sexual orientation, and different faith practices. And the church is still challenged by diversity today. We have a natural tendency to associate in groups because of our need for being and belonging. We are tribal by nature. And those needs are not evil. It's a natural human desire to form a community of people with similar goals and needs and desires. But tribalism turns toxic when it seeks to eliminate those with divergent views, opinions, or identity. It's toxic when it thrives on the notion that the other is the enemy. Now that we live in a deeply divided world is not news. 
that we enjoy, sometimes enjoy the deeply divided world is what is disturbing, that we allow ourselves to be divided and separated from each other is a spiritual sickness. It's not who we were created to be. Our world, our culture thrives on division. It seems to believe that there is no real alternative. And the church has not always come to grip with the wide and sometimes wild diversity that exists in our world. Far too often the church has been fearful and easily intimidated whenever the subject of inclusivity is raised and it's important to acknowledge the harm we cause when we exclude people from God's love. But this is why the affirmation all means all is so important. It's a reflection that we follow a Savior that was radically inclusive. Jesus taught and lived principles that are diametrically opposed to the very notion of toxic tribalism. Central to Christ's teaching was that the kingdom of God was one in which race, birth, privilege, or status did not grant entry. He preached a gospel of inclusion rather than exclusion, of peace and acceptance rather than intolerance. Consider the people that Jesus called to be His very inner disciples, the fishermen, political operatives, the tax collectors. They weren't all cut from the same cloth. There was little that they held in common other than they heard Jesus' call and answered it. Jesus was radically, almost subversively inclusive to those that he came into contact with. Jesus was radically inclusive to the despised. Jesus often reached out to sinners, individuals that were deemed beyond saving by the religious leaders in society. He offered not condemnation, but relationship and inclusion into the kingdom of God. He offered reconciliation and the dignity and the worthiness that they had taken from them. Look at the story of Zacchaeus, a wealthy tax collector loathed by the crowds that followed Jesus. They complained when he invited Jesus to dinner, and they grumbled even louder when Jesus accepted that invitation. But Jesus didn't yell at Zacchaeus. He didn't lecture him. He didn't call on him to repent. He simply drew the circle wider to include what had been removed, and Zacchaeus repented and sought redemption on his own. Jesus was radically inclusive to those deemed unworthy. He loved those that the world called unlovable because they were different, because they came from somewhere different, because they practiced their faith differently, or they were simply just too different to be welcomed unconditionally. Look at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. Look at the story of the Good Samaritan. You see, the Samaritans shared the same ancestry with the Israelites, but they practiced their faith in a slightly different way. They were the enemies, yet despite those differences, Jesus sought to include them into the kingdom of God. Jesus was radically inclusive to the outcasts. Jesus often ignored or dismissed the religious laws that excluded individuals. He honored Mary for sitting and listening with the men instead of helping serve with her sister. He healed the sick and injured. He gave sight to the blind people, even though others had dismissed them and kicked them out of society for their supposed sins. Jesus touched those that were deemed untouchable 
those that society had labeled gross or dangerous or worthless, Jesus embraced them and held them close. Jesus was even inclusive to his opposition. The scribes and the Pharisees opposed Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry, and he had strong words for them, but he never stopped including them. He took their questions. He listened to their arguments. He responded in ways that sought to help them see the inclusive and grace-filled nature of the kingdom of God. He challenged them. He criticized their abuse of power and their social prestige, but he still engaged with them when they questioned and challenged him. And finally, Jesus was radically inclusive to his betrayers. You know, a few years ago, there was a hashtag that was tending, hashtag Judas82. It was a reminder that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He knew that that betrayal would lead to his painful death, yet in all four Gospels, Judas is present at the Last Supper. Judas is offered and given the bread and the wine with a call to do this in remembrance of Jesus. The same grace was given to Peter, who Jesus knew would deny him publicly three times. This is radical, world-altering inclusiveness. This is the Savior that we follow, the radically inclusive incarnation of God who is seeking to constantly draw that circle wider to include those that the world would not bring in. A few years ago, the New York Times published an opinion piece that was a call to embody this radical inclusiveness of Jesus. The article ended by saying this, Jesus' teachings are so challenging, so distinct from our normal human reactions and behaviors that we constantly have to renew our commitment to them. Every generation of Christian needs to think through how his example applies to the times in which they live. We need our sensibilities to align more with his, otherwise we drift into self-righteousness and legalism, even to the point that we corrupt the very institution, the church, which was created to worship him and to love others. This is why our affirmation of all means all is so important. It's our call to remember to align ourselves with the radical inclusiveness of Jesus and to call one another to realign into that commitment. You see, when we as individuals, when we as the church claim that all means all, we are saying that all are welcome. We welcome into full fellowship persons of every race, gender, culture, nationality, economic circumstance, every age, physical and mental ability, family and marital status, sexual orientation, gender identity, and any other category you can think of that creates an us versus them mentality. Whatever your background, your experience, your past relationship with church, you are welcome here. This invitation is extended without exemption or expectation. From the moment you enter in this community, our deepest desire is that you will feel inexplicably at home. And this includes those with which we might have differences of opinion, be they political or social or theological. 
In one of his most famous sermons, uh, Catholic Spirit, John Wesley wrote this, that we cannot think alike, may we not love alike. May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion. You see, Wesley lived in a very divided England socially and economically and religiously, and he was calling for his church to listen to those with whom they disagreed and to focus on what they had in common, to focus on building bridges rather than building walls of hostility. Because the same God that moves and in through us all embraces all of us with grace and with love. When we say all are welcome, it's an acknowledgement that no one stands outside the embrace of God. And it means that our embrace of each other should strive to be as grace-filled as the one that we receive from God. We can love one another even as we make room for God to work in and through one another in different ways. Being a community of faith that welcomes all means that we know that we are stronger together our diversity is a gift from God. Uniformity is not unity, and we need not fear our differences. Our church has done much good work on becoming radically inclusive like Jesus, but there is more to be done. This will always be the growing edge for the kingdom of God. And when we say all means all, we're also saying that all are valued. One of my favorite things to do when reading the story of creation with children is to have them shout out loud what God says at the end of every day of creation. Do you know what it is? God looks at what he has created and God sees that it is good. God looks at creation and rather than worry or judgment, God calls all of creation good. It's a reminder that we are not deemed worthy of God's love and grace because of what we say or do or think. God values us because God created us. In fact, we bear Imago Dei, the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 reminds us that we are created in the very likeness of God. Our value doesn't come from what we think or do, but in the very act of creation. When we say that all are valued, we are saying that we are seeing everyone with the image of God. Remember a couple of weeks ago when I shared my grandmother's favorite sayings, God don't make junk? That's what Imago Dei means. We are God's masterpiece, and so are those that are different from us because God don't make junk. All means all happens when we, when we look at those that are different from ourselves, and we can call the beautiful creation of God good. It happens when we can see God's creation with God's eyes even those that it would be easier to exclude. When we can see in them the image of God, we are building the kingdom of God together. The Catholic priest Richard Rohr puts it this way, when we can see the image of God where we don't want to see the image of God, then we see with eyes not our own. In 2008, I had begun serving as the associate pastor of First United Methodist Church in Santa Monica. 
One of the first people I met was Don Danforth. Don lived in the neighborhood by the church, and he would often be found sitting in the bench of the courtyard throughout the week. This meant that Don and I chatted often about ministry and life and our differences of opinions theologically and politically and socially. And I loved our conversation so very much. One of my favorite things about Don was that his favorite way to greet people he met was by saying, the God in me greets the God in you. Now, that comes from the, the Hindu, the Indian greeting of Namaste, but for Don, it was a reminder that everyone he met, that everyone he came across was valued by God and was created in the very image of God. So when we say all are valued, it means we believe that all are created and gifted by God. Therefore, people of every race and ethnicity, sexual orientation and gender identity, age and background, ability and discipline, all are invited to be a real part of the church. We celebrate the gifts of the diverse followers of Jesus in every part of our life together through an invitation in participation and service and leadership. And finally, when we say all means all, we mean that all are loved. God's love is unconditional. It's unlimited and complete. God loves God's creation because it is good, because God created us in God's image, and God's love is not dependent on how perfect we act, how earnestly we repent, or how many good works we have done. God loves us for who we are, and this means that God loves others for who they are, even when that's different from us. And we are called to be an expression of that love. We love all because all are loved by God. And God loves us enough not to leave us where we are. God calls us to be kingdom builders. Moved by that love for God, we make the world a richer, brighter place when we show that love to others. And as we prepare this morning to celebrate Holy Communion, our affirmation that all means all is a reminder that this is God's table. You see, the United Methodist Church practices an open table from communion. This means there are no restrictions on who can participate. You don't have to be a member of this church or any church. Children are welcome to receive. Christ invites us all to eat with Him and meets us all here. The ability to feast at God's table comes not from our worthiness, but from the inclusive love of God. It's not our understanding. It's God's invitation that sets the place for us at the table. Because God's table is inclusive because this is a sacred moment. It's a means of grace that draws us closer to God's love and embrace and sends us out into the diversity of creation to share that unconditional love. And so as we approach this sacred moment, we open our eyes to see the diverse world that, arounds us, that surrounds us. We open our ears to hear their needs and we open our hearts in prayer to our all-loving God. Will you please join me in a moment of prayer?